he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to, be, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know these no times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Good morning, Rockwall Prez, and welcome to any guests that are with us today. If this is your first time, uh, I'm really glad to have you. And I'm really glad that you're here with us today, uh, especially in this crazy thing called life uh, that we find ourselves these days. And so I hope that worshiping with us this morning, that Jesus brings a sense of peace to your heart. You find us at the beginning of a new sermon series that we've entitled Pray God Down. And we are using this sermon series this fall as we enter into a season of prayer where we are seeking the face of God together as a church, as we face the uncertainty of our future and all of its unpredictability and all of its unknown, we are choosing to reject nominalism within us, choosing to reject any sense of just going through the motions and instead recognizing that God is at work. And so in light of that, in this season of prayer, we are asking for three essentially very simple things. We are asking God for more, We are asking God to move, and we are asking that God would reveal his glory among us. And so each week in this series, we are alternating between John 17 and then a passage in the book of Acts. And so each week in John 17, we look at a portion of Jesus's prayer and that to guide us in how we are going to pray. And then we follow that up the next week with a passage in the book of Acts that reveals and shows us what it looks like when Jesus' prayers come to life in the life of God's people. And so last week in John 17, as we began, we saw that the first thing for which Jesus prayed was his glory. He asked to be glorified in the cross. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Glory is at the heart of Jesus' prayer. 
and his glory is at the heart of our prayers in this season of prayer. Because we too are asking that God would reveal the glory of Christ among us. But just like we asked last week, what does that even mean? What does that really mean to ask that God would reveal his glory among us? It means that we are asking for the power of the cross to be at work among us. We are asking for the power of the cross to be on full display, to drop its weight on every heart, every home, upon our church, upon our community. We're asking that the power of the cross would reveal and remove those immovable rocks of sin within us. Also, that we might know the full weight of God's love and desire for his people. Why? So that we may know him, so that we may have more of him, and that he would be glorified in us. That was Jesus' prayer for us. And so that is our prayer. But there's a catch, right? I hinted at it at the end of last week's sermon. Because to pray for the glory of God to be revealed among us means that we have to be willing to wait. To pray is to wait. To pray is to wait upon God. So if we ask for the glory of God to be revealed among us, it means that we have to wait. And if we don't know how to wait, then we will not pray. We don't like waiting in our drive-through, buy-it-now world. And yet throughout the Bible, we see that waiting is that unavoidable space between promise and fulfillment. To pray is to wait. So this week, we're in Acts chapter 1. Because we find the disciples in that very situation. They are in a situation where they too have to wait. The time has come for Jesus to leave this world in his ascension. His bags are packed. He's leaving on a jet plane. They're at the terminal. And here in this passage, we see Jesus' final words to his disciples. So in verse 4, he says, For them not to depart from from Jerusalem... But to wait, to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you will be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus leaves them with that promise that even though he is leaving, the Spirit is going to come to them. God is going to come down in power. But they have to wait. And so just like us, when we find the prospect of waiting before us, we want to know a little bit more about it. We want to know what we can expect. We want a few more details. We want to know what lies around the corner so that we might have some sense of certainty about what lies ahead. And so Jesus responds, oh well, and so they respond with that question in verse 6. And they ask Jesus, They ask, Jesus is now when you will restore the kingdom to Israel. Is now when you will restore the kingdom to Israel. Now that's a loaded question in the Bible. That question has a lot of baggage to it. But what they're really asking is essentially this. Jesus is now when you are going to make Israel a geopolitical power player. (laughs) 
What they are expecting is a political campaign that's going to free them from Roman rule, establish the nation of Israel, and make them the most powerful nation in the world. And so if we just paraphrase their question for a second, what they're really asking is, Jesus, is now when you are going to drop the big rock and crush all the nations of the earth. Because the disciples are under the impression that Jesus' kingdom will be established by means of earthly power, by means of strength and force and sword, according to the systems and patterns of this world. They think that his kingdom will be established in the same way that earthly kingdoms will be established. So Jesus answers them and reminds them once again that that is not how his kingdom operates. He says in verse 7, he says, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so here in Jesus' final words to his disciples, he doesn't really give them any details. Instead, he wants them to wait with a bigger vision of his kingdom. He wants them to wait with a bigger vision of his kingdom because their vision of his kingdom is far too small. He wants them to wait with a bigger vision of his kingdom because he's reminding them once again that his kingdom is not of this world. It will break into this world through the power of the cross. It doesn't spread by power or by force. It doesn't grow by voting blocks. It's not affected or thwarted by earthly governments or rulers. There are no laws of any land that can stop it. There's no persecution of any people that can subdue it because this kingdom is driven by an otherworldly power. It's built on the power of the Spirit coming down to empower his people to bear witness to the ends of the earth. And through that witness, God will drop the weight and glory of the cross on the whole world. He invites them into a bigger vision of his kingdom. And so in short, he's saying to them very simply, no, you are not going to crush the nations. You're going to convert them. This kingdom does not spread by warfare. It spreads by you bearing witness in the power of the Spirit. Jesus wants them to hold fast to that truth. He wants them to have a bigger vision of his kingdom and see that they are a part of something that is filled with far more power and is far bigger than anything that they could possibly imagine. Because to participate in his purposes requires a bigger vision of his kingdom. And sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we lose sight of this bigger vision of his kingdom to which we are invited. And so what happens when we lose that bigger vision of the kingdom? Well, then we have a small vision of the kingdom. And when we have a small vision of the kingdom, then we begin to think just like they do, where we think that this kingdom will be established through earthly systems, by the values of this world, according to the principles and systems that we see at work in the world. 
And so when we have a small view of the kingdom, it leads to all sorts of different mistakes that we can make. And so we start to think that whenever there's persecution, we think that we're losing the battle. Or we start to worry more about who's in power instead of the power of God that is at work in the world. Or we think that spreading the gospel comes down to uh, a strategy or a formula or attraction or entertainment instead of being a work of the Spirit and a work of the Spirit alone. Or when we have a small view of the kingdom, we start to think in terms of us versus them instead of us for them. That we exist for the life of the world. This kingdom is not established by us sacrificing them. It's established by us sacrificing ourselves for them. So a bigger vision of the kingdom shapes how you see everyone and everything and every situation and every circumstance around you. A bigger vision of the kingdom is how we view the world. There was a young man living in Iran named Masood. And Masood was going to visit his brother Reza, who was on death row and scheduled to be executed the next day. And when he got to the prison, he walked into the room expecting to see his brother Reza just distraught, distracted, depressed by the fact that he was going to be executed the following day. Yet when he walked into the room, that's not what he found. He saw something he'd never seen in his brother. He saw his brother Reza joyful, smiling, hopeful, and at peace. And so they only had a few minutes, and so Masood asked his brother Reza, he said, what, what's going on? And Reza, very quickly, he said, you'll never guess. There's a man in here named Pastor Amir that told me about Jesus. And in him, I am forgiven, and I am set free. And I'm, a, I'm at peace with tomorrow, because I'm going to go be with him. And that was all the time they had, and the guards came, and they took Reza, and they took him away. And he was executed the next day. And so Masood left in that moment with his brother, shook him to his core. And he started to search and investigate and look into this Jesus that his brother Reza had found. He was a drug addict. He was a drug dealer. And in the course of his search, he became a Christian. And he trusted in Jesus. But he also began a search for Pastor Amir because he was no longer in the prison. And so he was trying to find this pastor that witnessed to his brother to find out what happened with his brother. And he searched for years to try and find Pastor Amir, but he never did. So he'd given up the search. And a few years later, he took a trip to Turkey. And he actually encountered a bunch of Iranian Christians that had fled Turkey and were, that had fled Iran and were now living in Turkey. And the more he got to know them, he found out that they knew Pastor Amir. And he found out that Pastor Amir, when he got out of prison, fled Iran and went to Turkey, but he was no longer with them. And so one of the men said, why, why are you asking about Pastor Amir? How do you know him? And he said, well, my brother was converted by him in prison. And the man said, oh, you mean Reza? And he said, yeah, that's my brother. How do you know about Reza? And he said, Pastor Amir talked about Reza all the time. And finally, Masood was able to learn about what happened to his brother. Pastor Amir said that Reza was the most uncontrollable and violent inmate in the entire prison. And everyone kept their distance from him. 
But Pastor Amir went to him and befriended him and loved him. And Reza finally got so annoyed with it that he said, what are you even doing in here? You're a good man. Why are you in here? I'm a murderer. I'm supposed to be in here. Why are you even here? And Pastor Amir said, I'm in here for you. Jesus sent me to you in this prison so that you might be saved and set free. And Reza said, why would he even care about me? And Pastor Amir told him about, you know, the criminal on another death row and how he came to know Jesus hanging on a cross in his last moments of life. And it was through that witness that Reza became a Christian and he spent the next two days of his life before his execution apologizing and asking for forgiveness to all of the inmates in the prison. And he was at peace. And Masood finally learned the story of his brother. And he went back to, Tur- to Iran and started telling all of his friends. And his friends and his family became, that were Muslims became Christians. And he never met Pastor Amir. But through Pastor Amir, he met Jesus. Because he bore witness. Because Pastor Amir had a bigger vision of the kingdom. He had a bigger vision of a kingdom that was not shaped by his situation or his circumstances, and he wasn't just waiting around in prison for what lied ahead. He waited with purpose. That this kingdom isn't just for the big halls of power. It's also found at work in the deepest, darkest prison cells of this world. And he believed in a bigger vision of the kingdom. And it's through that bigger vision that we open our lives to the power of God and his purposes. And really, it's a bigger vision of the kingdom that gives us hope and should give us hope. That no matter how bad things get, no matter how difficult the world finds itself, whatever predicament that it's in, no matter how bad things get around us, we are a part of a bigger kingdom that cannot be stopped or shaken or satisfied until all things are made new. And this world has no power over the power of this kingdom because this kingdom is not driven or affected by this world because it is not of this world. And that was the vision that Jesus left his disciples with. And with these final words, he ascends to his everlasting throne. And then the disciples are left behind and they step into an unknown future and they wait. And they wait. And they wait. But what does it look like to wait with a bigger vision of the kingdom? Well, in verse 12, we see them return to Jerusalem and wait as Jesus had told them. But it's how they waited that makes all the difference in the world. And so before we consider what they actually did, let's just think about and consider what they didn't do. Because Jesus told them that it's not for them to know the times and the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority, but they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And so in light of that, how easy would it have been for them to say, well, you know, God's sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants to do anyways. And then they go into the upper room and wait around, get out some board games, play a little chess, play a little hand of cards. Or some of them say, you know, I guess if this is going to happen, it's going to happen. You know, it doesn't really depend on what I do. 
So maybe I'm going to go check out the sights of the city, take a little tour of Jerusalem while I'm here. And then maybe another says, well, you go do that and have fun. I'm going to go and find a little project to keep busy. Maybe make a little money while we stay here in Jerusalem. I'll see you around. We don't see that. Because God's sovereignty doesn't cause them to fall into this fatalistic mindset where they just passively wait around. No, they wanted to participate. And so they respond by faith. And faith moves them to action. They waited in readiness. In verse 13, it says, They all went into the upper room. And with one, and all these with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. All of them, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. All the men, all the women, all of them, with the crazy kids, the crying babies, as one holy, chaotic family, devoting themselves together in corporate, consistent, prevailing, ongoing prayer. They devoted themselves to corporate prayer. And when it says that all of them were of one accord, a better way of understanding that is saying that they all had one passion. They were of one mind. They were of one desire that devoted themselves to prayer together. Why? Because they wanted more. They were ready for more. They were ready for the glory of God that was promised to them. And God's sovereignty didn't cause them to just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, I guess we'll see what happens. It was the very incentive that drove them into prayer. Because if what Jesus said was true, then this kingdom cannot be fabricated. It can't be manipulated or contrived. This kingdom can only be received. And so they wait by entering into a season of prayer to align their hearts with the will and purposes of God. And it's in this season of prayer where they are saying as one people, if God's sovereign hand is at work, then we want to be a part of it. We want what God wants. And it's here in this moment that we see the power of corporate prayer. Because corporate prayer is how God's people display their readiness and desire for his kingdom. And so I asked, do you see what's going on here? Do you see what's happening here in this moment? It's in corporate prayer that the disciples are embodying the very invitation of 2 Chronicles 7. If my people pray and seek my face, then my eyes and my heart will be with them for all time. We said last week that Jesus embodied that very invitation in his prayer. And here this week, we see his people doing the same thing, holding fast to the sovereign purposes of God in Jesus Christ, and that drives them to seek his face in this promise of a God that wants to come down and dwell with his people. They wanted more, and it was through corporate prayer that they said, we are ready. And so when we look at chapter 2, it should make all the sense in the world. How 50 days later, they were still together in prayer. And then they hear a sound of rushing wind from heaven. And the place in which they prayed was shaken because God came down in Pentecost. And it shouldn't surprise us that it was out of a corporate prayer meeting that the church was born. 
if my people pray and seek my face. And when God came down, they bore witness. And through them, the Spirit dropped the power of the cross on 3,000 souls that day, and the glory of God was revealed. It's having a bigger vision of the kingdom that reminds us that God comes down so that God can go out. And if we don't want to go out, then we shouldn't expect that God will come down. Because all throughout the book of Acts, you see this same thing happen over and over again, time and time again. That God moves through the corporate prayer of his people, time and time again. It's corporate prayer that lies at the heartbeat of their participation in the mission and purposes of God. It's through corporate prayer that God time after time drops the power of the cross and reveals his glory. And yet, do we see that same thing in our day? It was so prevalent in the book of Acts. Is it prevalent among the church in our time and place? George Barna did a nationwide survey asking pastors about what it was that they felt was essential to the life of their church. And of course, there were a number of good answers in that. But what he pointed out was that only 3% of pastors said that corporate prayer was essential to the life of their church. 3%. But here's the thing. That survey was done in 1976. 50 years ago. Does it seem like much has changed? Do we see a church that's committed to a bigger vision of the kingdom and a recognition of our need for the power of the spirit or are we operating by a different set of values? You know, we've already spent some time talking about the state of the church in our present day. And just this week, another report came out that said one in five churches is facing closure in the next 18 months. Our churches, our communities, our country, our world needs a church that is committed to seeking the face of God in corporate prayer. And if not now, then when? If not now, then when is a good time? Because it's throughout history we see over and over again that God moves through prevailing corporate prayer. In times of distress and hardship, God moves when his people are unified in seeking his will and they're open to his purposes. We've seen the power of prayer in our country's history. In 1857, a Dutch Reformed pastor began a, prayer time, a daytime prayer meeting in New York City in the midst of economic collapse and in the midst of a season in which there was incredible disenfranchisement with the church. And Charles Finney said that spiritual awakening is impossible in New York City because they were too wealthy and too rich. And yet within six months, this prayer meeting had grown to over 10,000 people praying each day throughout the churches of New York City. And it's estimated that between the years of 1857 and 1859, that in two years, over two million people came to know Christ in New York City alone. And you see the power of corporate prayer when you look at the world around us. Look at the church in Asia. Look at the church in Africa, in India, in China. Churches are places where the church is exploding. 
If you want to see the passion of the churches in the deep forest, just ask them to start praying. And it's like somebody just lit a fire in the room. Where you see a thriving church, you will find corporate prayer. And we have seen the power of corporate prayer in our church. Eight years ago, in the spring of 2012, this church entered into a season of prayer, just like the one in which we are in now. We entered into a season of prayer where we wanted to ask for big things that only a big God can do. We wanted more. And so we began to pray what we called kingdom prayers and asked that God would open doors for us that God would give us opportunities, that God would pave the way, that God would lead us in the way that we would go. He would open doors and opportunities and that he would use us and that he would reveal his glory among us. And I went back and looked at some of those original posts from 2012, and at that time, this church was barely 100 people. We didn't know how God would answer those prayers, but he did. Because six months later, we took our first trip to India it was out of that season of corporate prayer that God gave India as a precious gift to this church. And make no mistake, there is no bigger influence on the culture of this church than what India has provided for us. It has been a means by which we have seen God reveal his glory time and time again. And God answered those corporate prayers year after year. Are you one of the 70 people that has gone to India? you were an answer to those prayers. Are you one of the people that has given financially over the years? You were an answer to those prayers. Not just ours, but theirs. For churches to be built, for churches to be established, for churches to be planted, for water wells, for a new children's home, for sponsorships, for preschools, for salvations, and for spiritual awakening. Are you one of the people that could never go, yet you still feel a heart to pray for India? where you can know that your prayers are heard and your prayers are being answered. And they are simply kindling on the fire. Because last Monday, our India campaign for this year came to an end. We had the goal of raising $32,000 for thousands of people during this COVID time. And we saw God move once again, and $33,000 was raised. And we have seen time and time again that God has revealed his glory among us. And since 2012, that $33,000 brings the total to half a million dollars in eight years. God, 10 years later, continues to answer the corporate prayers of his people. Yet, of course he does. Because he's the God that says, if my people pray and seek my face, I will come down. So let us not be a church that's surprised that when we Seek the will and purposes and glory of God. He works and he moves. So I've said that this fall we are going to pray corporately. And we are. We're going to enter into corporate prayer together. And as a church, we're going to ask God for more and ask that he would align our hearts, our collective heart, with his purposes and his desires and his mission. Because if God is doing something, then the most logical question in the world is, can we be a part of it? And might we desire that together? So over the next three months, we are going to have four prayer gatherings. 
And the first one's going to be in two weeks. We're going to have our first ever men's prayer night. And that's how we're going to begin. And I'm calling on the men of this church to lead the way, to set the tone, to be an example, to set the pace of prayer in your family, in your marriage, and in this church. I'm calling on you to lead. And then two weeks after that, at the end of this month, we're going to pray corporately as a church. And then after that, we're going to gather our women together for a women's night of prayer. And then in November, we're going to have a corporate night of prayer where we are going to pray into some things that we've never done before as a church. And as we do, we are going to blanket our lives and our families, our church, our community, and our world in prayer. And we're going to pray with a bigger vision of the kingdom. We're going to wait in readiness. We're going to ask God to move. We're going to ask him for more. And we're going to ask that his glory would be revealed among us. Because as we face the uncertainty of the future, all the more might we rest in the certainty of a kingdom that cannot be stopped or shaken. And it's a bigger vision of that kingdom in which we are invited to pray and wait. And after all that we have seen, does it not really just stand as one big invitation? All the ways that we have seen God move thus far? And does not Moses show us the way that when you see the power of God, the most logical thing you can do is draw near and ask for more of him? All to the glory of his name. So this morning, I ask the G brothers to close us out. So whenever you're ready, Jeremy. Greetings from India, King of Kings Ministries. Uh, we thank Pastor Zach and the Rockwell Church for supporting us in the medical ministry and the distribution of rice and other essentials. To all our 18 Deep Forest pastors and all the congregation members of our 17 churches for the months of July and August because of the effect of COVID-19. We have reached around 4,000 people each month in the Deep Forest with rice and other essentials like masks, sanitizers, soaps, homeo medicines, etc. And we have given rice, vegetables, and other cooking needs like oil, sugar, flour, dal, etc. to all our pastors' families. We have purchased medical testing equipment which are, um, uh, which are naturally need for our nurses. And also, we are able to provide complete medicine to everyone in need uh, who are having medical ailments through your support. The COVID positive cases are increasing day by day and deaths are increasing every day and people are suffering a lot because of lack of jobs and finances. We ask you to pray for these needs and we are grateful to you for your support in this great need. Once again, we thank you for your generosity. We, we ask you to continue praying for us and partner with our King of Kings ministry and CRR. May God bless you all. Thank you.